It can be argued that Saturday's 31-16 victory over Ohio State was Oklahoma's biggest regular season win in nearly a decade. Going on the road and beating a top-two team is something that hadn't happened for Sooners football since 2000, when they went to Manhattan and beat number 2 Kansas State on their way to a national championship. The significance of the win isn't lost on Sooner Nation. There's undeniably a buzz around the program, a renewed sense of optimism that frankly hasn't been present since the 2008 season. However, a quick look around the college football media landscape would potentially have you fooled. In the aftermath of the Sooners vanquishing the Buckeyes in the horseshoe, the sports media's attention has widely still been focused on Ohio State. What's wrong with JT Barrett? Should Ohio State make a change at the quarterback position? Is Urban Meyer in a funk? What's next for Ohio State? Any casual scroll through college football Twitter will provide a plethora of stories about where Ohio State is and where they are going. Any mention of Oklahoma revolves around one player on a team that starts 22 of them. And ironically enough, most talk of Baker Mayfield is centered on something that he did after the game, after he beat Ohio State completely by himself, at least according to the media. Am I missing something? Is Baker Mayfield part of an offensive line that largely handled a defensive line, chock full of future professionals? Did Baker Mayfield catch a quick pass over the middle of the field and outrun a safety to the end zone for a 36-yard touchdown? Is Baker Mayfield a member of a defensive line that largely held Ohio State's run game in check? Their longest run was only 16 yards. Did Baker Mayfield have anything to do with Jordan Thomas, Parnell Motley, and Stephen Parker and company virtually shutting down the Buckeye passing attack? I believe Baker Mayfield is the best player in the country. I think he has been since about October of last year. I know it, Lee knows it, and most of Sooner Nation knows it too. So what we saw last Saturday night wasn't a huge surprise. Big-time players play well in big-time moments. But make no mistake, the rest of the country sees the 2017 version of the Oklahoma Sooners as a one-man team. It's something that I hope the players throughout the, rost throughout the roster reflect on. Anyone who is familiar with this team knows that Saturday night was more than a one-man effort. Let's hope, that the, let, let's hope that the rest of the team continues to fly comfortably under the radar. To earn the ultimate prize, under-the-radar players throughout this roster will need to continue playing in a great way, hat tip to Bob Stoops. Perhaps th that will be easier to accomplish with a sports media-sized chip on their shoulders. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Louisville jumps. Hypo throws. Jackson, his fifth touchdown pass of the game. Five touchdowns from Josh Heupel. Two to Jarrell Jackson. Four unanswered touchdowns by the Sooners. They'll roll back to Norman in that kind of Stoger wagon and won't need a play. And for them to be as, as prolific as they are with this new offense is an amazing job of coaching, Paul. Usually it takes more time to be this good. Josh Heupel and Jarrell Jackson welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Everest, our intro today from September 25th, 1999. The Sooners winning at Louisville, 42-21. to Heupel threw for a school record 429 yards, and OU actually trailed that game 21-14 to in the third quarter 
before scoring four straight touchdowns. Okay, so once again, welcome to West of Everest. I'm Lee Benson. You heard Grant's take at the top of the show. He'll be back here in a moment. But first, I want to remind you that West of Everest is available on SoundCloud and iTunes. If you're enjoying the show so far, this is episode six. Please subscribe and leave a rating and a review. That helps with the iTunes charts. And if you'd like to reach out to us, you can email the show westofeverest at gmail.com. Again, that is westofeverest at gmail.com. Or you can find Grant and I on Twitter. I'm at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25, at Grant Benson 25. Time to bring Grant back in. Grant, uh, do you have any theories uh, of to why we went with the Josh Heupel to Jarrell Jackson from 99 as our intro today? You're going to have to fill me in on this one. I've actually been trying to rack my brain all day trying to figure this out because I, I saw the script earlier today. And to, uh, to simply answer your question, no, I have no idea why you went with that. Please enlighten all right, me. So- so, so two reasons for that. Two reasons why we're using Heupel to Jackson in, in a game from 99. So apparently OU's beatdown of Ohio State was the worst home loss for the Buckeyes since 1999. And also, Oklahoma's never played Tulane before. Normally we play a clip of a previous match between OU and their upcoming opponent. So since they had never played Tulane, I thought, okay, I'll go back to 1999 and figure out who OU played in the third game that year, which was Louisville. There we go. That's actually pretty clever. This is west of Everest. We do things right here. We do clever things here. We're very good. So, Grant, do you have any uh, any additional thoughts on OU Ohio State? I'm sure you do. The last podcast came out Monday. We recorded on Sunday. And I'm not sure if I could say a lot has happened since then, but certainly a lot of talk about Baker Mayfield probably has happened since then. But do you have any other things to add when it comes to OU Ohio State? Well, I mean, I've, I've watched the game a, a handful of times since then. I mean, not like in its entirety, but I've, I've watched uh, select highlights from the game a handful of times since then. And I, I just want to go back again to how good um, the offensive line was. They, they really were great. Ohio State did have a lot of tackles behind the line of scrimmage, but a lot of that came on runs and, and screen passes um, and whatnot. Other than that, uh, other than a handful of plays, Baker Mayfield was largely untouched and not even really uh, rushed at all. Um, so I just want to say a, another outstanding job by the offensive line. There's there's a reason why there's there's a few future pros on that line. They're, they're really good. They did a good job handling the pressure of Ohio State. That offensive line, a big reason why I was confident a week a week or so ago, whenever I made the the prediction that this year's offense will be better than 2008. After that Ohio State game, I'm feeling pretty good about that prediction. I must say, I must say, I still think you're crazy with that prediction. By the way, and largely the reason why is Baker Mayfield. Uh, if, if you listen to the whole thing, as far as I'm concerned, uh, another another Ohio State OU uh, thought that that I didn't have on on monday during monday's show i want to give a shout out to the football brainiacs website real cool website Uh, and i read a cool breakdown of the defensive line against ohio state from that website and it pointed out that dj ward had a sneaky good game and we forgot to bring up dj ward in our previous podcast after the ou ohio state game and that article i read did a nice job of explaining why ward played really well he just stayed at home a lot he wasn't flashy but he was 
he he played well enough to allow his teammates to make plays, and, and he himself also made a couple nice tackles as well. So I wanted to shout out DJ Ward. I do also want to bring up the fact that, and I think Mike Stoops alluded to this in his, in his post game comments on Saturday night too. Um, but for a, a majority of the game, OU actually played in that three man front that they were in. Uh, that they have been in, in the la- for the last four years, basically. And Mike Stoops made a comment to the reporters that he uh, he's, he basically thanked all of the reporters for for telling Ohio State that that we would come out in a four man front for the last nine months. So I did want <laughs> I, I, I did want to throw oh. that out there. So who knows if if we'll see a four man front going forward? I don't know. He he made it. He at least put it up. You know where there's there's. There's some room for like some wiggle room there that maybe it was just a huge ruse. I think that'd be kind of lame if it was. Um, but I, I did want to. Well, I'm all for yeah. just changing things from game to game if Oklahoma can do it. I mean, if they yeah. think it's going to work better with a four man front against a certain team, go for it. Or if they think a three man front with Oboe roaming around as that Jack guy, if that works better, then go for it. And certainly it worked against Ohio State. Yeah, and I think I think they are still going to be transitioning more to a four man front. Um, just because that that's how they've switched up recruiting. I mean, recruits have said it on the trail and everything too, that the coaches have made a, a point of saying that they're going to be playing more, more of a four, three look. So, um, but maybe that it, it does mean this year, they are going to be a little more, uh, a little more multiple, which I think is fine. As long as you have the, the, the personnel to pull it off, that's totally okay. And with, with Oboe, um, with Oboe's game lately, he's been so good that maybe, um, he affords, uh, the flexibility to be able to do that. So here's a roadmap of the show today. Normally during this show, we talk extensively about the upcoming opponent, and that in this case is Tulane. Since Tulane is a team that is is not of the caliber of Ohio State, if you will, uh, we're not going to spend as much time going over the matchups with Tulane. So first we're going to talk a little bit about Oklahoma as a whole. Then we'll get into the two-lane game, and we'll do the same thing we've done the past couple of weeks. We'll talk about what we think is going to happen, what, what we want to see happen, what will happen on the field, how two-lane can potentially give problems to Oklahoma on offense and on defense. We'll talk all about that. And then after we're done talking to Lane, we're going to go into some national talk. Uh, but first, actually, some Big 12 talk. We'll talk about all the Big 12 teams and kind of go over what happened last weekend. And then Grant and I will give our top 10 in college football, which will be, I'm sure, just the, the greatest thing anybody has ever waited for on a podcast. The highest rated segment in podcast history, I is I think, is a pretty reasonable expectation. So that's a roadmap of the show. Continuing on, we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up Baker Mayfield. I remember on Monday, Grant, on Monday show, you mentioned that, I think, what did you say, that this is going to be uh, the biggest non-story or something like that? Oh, but I, I think that's planting. not necessarily what yeah. you meant. Yeah, the flag thing, like... What did you mean by that? I, I I didn't mean that it wasn't going to take up airtime because it obviously obviously was. That's what I was lamenting. Um, basically, my the whole point of my comment was people are just going to blow this out of proportion. Um, what what really it is? It's just there's just not a whole lot to talk about, and you know this it's it's week two for the most part. September in college football is woefully boring um, outside of a handful of matchups. Um, you know, for, for the national media. And so this was just something that they could talk about. It was something that happened in the biggest game of last week, and you have a potential star, and la di da di da and it's it's stupid. Anyone with, you know, who's reasonable thinks it's stupid, but it was just something that people needed to talk about. And I don't think anyone was actually outraged by it. I think it was just something that people were talking about. Certainly something that was probably media-driven, but I got to say, it was annoying on Monday when Mayfield came out and actually apologized for it. Lincoln Riley said that it was all Mayfield's idea. 
maybe it was at first I didn't buy that apologizing was actually Baker Mayfield's idea, but then I kind of thought a little bit more, and I think it's possible that Mayfield kind of considered the whole arrest thing yep. from February and how that affected his image. So maybe he thought, oh, because of that, I probably should come out and apologize just so that his image continues to look as, as clean as possible. I just how Baker Mayfield has, has struck me in, in all of his interviews since that arrest thing um, that he's done in the offseason, he's only done you know, a handful of them, but he, he seems very introspective about it. He seems like he's pretty shamed about it and is very self-conscious and self-aware of, of what happened. And so the explanation that you just provided about why he apologized seems, it, it seems to fit his narrative, you know, from the last six months. Uh, he, he seems like a, like a kid who, he, who gets it at least, at least kind of gets it. So, yeah, that's what I think. I, I'd like to think that that's why he did it because really, in these situations, there's just no there's no reason to apologize. And the whole thing is to me is like, who does this apologize satisfy? You know, who's the person out there who hears Mayfield apologize and and immediately changes their opinion on the whole matter? And, and maybe, probably nobody. Yeah. Right. I mean, I just don't yeah. seem, think there's people out there like that. And, and I think it, it probably was him thinking that, you know, my uh, my rap sheet, you know, already took a hit earlier this year. Um if this has any chance of, of causing any sort of rift or anything like that, I, I might as well get out ahead of it. That's probably to his thinking. So this may be, this was, it probably was on him. Maybe he just thought, you know what, this will ease my mind a little bit. And he did it. He's, is he sorry? Probably not. But cause you know, I mean, you know, Baker Mayfield's not the type of person who really cares what someone thinks about him. You know, he, it seems like no. he kind of relishes those, those opportunities. So um, I don't know. Just, just a weird thing. It's just something you know, midweek people to talk about. I the story honestly doesn't interest me that much. It doesn't interest me anymore uh, much at all either. And actually, because of that, we should just move on to something else. Yeah, I do want to say though um, that I it does suck that they kept playing that video over and over again of him whatever planting the flag, and it just bugged me so much that as soon as he like plants the flag, it just falls over. You know, because oh, it's, yeah. cause it's artificial turf. It's just. It's it's not in the sense that like I'm mad that they let the the flag hit the ground. It's just I'm kind of weird, and when something is like supposed to go into the ground, and it doesn't, it's just it's so unsatisfying to me. And so just from a weird perspective, that video this week has just has really rubbed me the wrong way. It's almost like Mayfield. Obviously, he knew that was going to happen. He didn't care, but it's almost like when he planted it, he should have just continued to hold on he to it. Just so held it was it. still just held upright. Yeah. Until maybe somebody else walked over and grabbed it as well and started moving away with it. Exactly. He should have just. Yeah, that bothered me too. He should have just held it, but whatever. You'll never hear that take anywhere except for here. That's a weird take. I haven't heard anybody else bring that up. No, no, it really bugs me that that thing didn't stick into the ground. And it was like obviously wasn't going to stick in the ground because, you know, it wasn't actually ground. It wasn't wasn't grass. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Hot takes. Okay, yeah. So let's 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 move on to something else. Uh, coming out of that game, now Oklahoma was able to play so well and get through and, and beat up on Ohio State, but there were some injuries. We heard from Lincoln Riley on Monday about Mark Andrews and about Will Johnson. I thought that Mark Andrews' injury was going to be very serious. Sounds like it's not. So that's a positive. His status for Saturday up in the air. We have been told though by Lincoln Riley. Later in the week, as we're recording this on a Wednesday, that Will Johnson's not going to play. And who else? Uh, Cody Ford? Cody, Cody Ford is out as Cody well? Cody Ford is also out. We're not exactly sure why. 
Um, there was some, uh, there's a suspicion maybe it was a concussion issue that hasn't been verified or anything. Um, but, but I believe he's, he's questionable or, uh, day to day is what, um, Lincoln Riley, I think he said about him and Johnson. Well, if Mark Andrews truly only has a, a bone bruise, is that the correct injury that they've d- diagnosed with him? Yeah, that we've that's heard? what I've heard. I've, it's, it's just some sort of bruise, I would assume. Okay. Um, today, Lincoln Riley said uh, he's really, really close and that he is likely to play. So that's great. I, I kind of tend, you know, I, I like to err more towards caution. I wish maybe they'd just kind of sit him down this week. Um, but, you know, if it's just a bruise, I, I can't imagine there's – um, there's really much risk of him re-injuring or anything like that. Um, so if he's if he's good to go, and if they feel like he can go, then you know I guess he might as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I, if it's, I, I'm kind of, I don't know if I believe that it's actually just a bruise at this point, just because of how how much pain it looked like Mark Andrews was on the sidelines. Yeah. But I mean, maybe it was a weird thing where it just got him in the right spot and it really wasn't comfortable for the rest of that game and he's actually good to go now, yeah. you know, 20, a couple days removed from it. So, I mean, hopefully he's fine. It's possible. I mean, it was in his it was in his thigh, his quad, uh, you know, the biggest bone in your body is in there. You know, what if it's that and just at the time, maybe when it happens, it's just really painful maybe because you, you saw he was very animated on the sidelines in pain. Um, so, and I was, I was worried that it was a knee issue. Apparently that's not the case. Um, so, I mean, you never know what's happening in the moment or if he's, you know, in too much pain to go or not. But if, if, if he's fine now, that's really all that matters. Okay, Grant, before we get to, into the two lane talk, let's go over two different questions. Most surprising thing on offense that we've seen so far through two games, most surprising thing on defense that we have seen through two games. And I will start first with offense. Three things. I was surprised to see Kyler Murray start the third quarter against UTEP. That was one of my biggest surprises so far in the first two weeks. But that shot kind of wore off. The surprise kind of wore off when it was clear that Murray was going to play the rest of the game and Baker Mayfield was done. So that's initially what came to mind when I thought of the most surprising things. Uh, Going back to Ohio State, certainly was surprised that Trey Sermon was the bell cow back against Ohio State. Uh, And then... uh, also surprised that Marcellus Sutton didn't even see the field against the Buckeyes. And finally, I was surprised that Michael Jones was basically non-existent against UTEP and then came back and had two catches, one of which was massive against Ohio State on Saturday. What about you? Uh, definitely the most surprising thing I've seen so far in offense was um, you already mentioned Trey Sermon. I'll, I'll go one up there. I'll just say not only was he the bell cow back, but he the, the moment wasn't too big for him and he delivered, played a really good game. Um, didn't blink, you know, for a true freshman on the road, and you know, one of the most hostile environments, I'm mean, in the in the country in any sport. Um, didn't blink. The moment wasn't too big for him. That was that was surprising, especially after I said he was the least uh, impressive of all the running backs I had seen up to that point. So, hats off to Trey Sermon. He played a great game. As far as defense goes, I'm going to go with uh, the most surprising thing I've seen so far is is the play of of Emmanuel Beal. I think he's been outstanding the first two games. Um, Game against Ohio State on Saturday night was the best game he has uh, he's played in a in a Sooner uniform, and if if that's what they're going to get from Emmanuel Beal all year, then I think we can comfortably say that this linebacking core is is a major strength if they're going to play that well. Surprising thing for me on defense, couple of things uh, we kind of alluded to it a little bit at the top of the show. It you know looks like they're still playing that three four scheme. 
and it's it's because of Oboe's position, that jack position is so unique. Uh, and to me, the surprising thing is that it's worked so well after not working all that well for half of the the first half of last season. And granted, OU's defense did start to play better as as the second half of last year progressed post Texas Tech. So I think that that's been kind of surprising because I was really expecting to see a lot of four three fronts. And then also Ohio State. I was surprised the Buckeyes were not able to exploit Kenneth Murray and the OU defensive line up the middle in that game. I really thought that was a weakness for the Sooners, and Ohio State wasn't able to really exploit it, that, and I was surprised. That was one thing that really surprised me. That was one of the things that stood out to me last year watching last year's tape was Ohio State and um, you know how many, how many times they moved their chess pieces around just to confuse the middle of the OU defense, and they did it a lot. Um, I figured that was something that was certainly going to happen, especially with a true freshman in the middle like Kenneth Murray. Um, Lee, my only... And this was one of the things that I, I, I didn't really have the guts to say it before this happened um, in regards to the Kevin Wilson coaching, uh, being the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. And this is, if I was an Ohio State fan, this is what I, w- I would have been really worried about is Urban Meyer forcing Kevin Wilson to run his system. And that's what that's what it looked like on Saturday night was it was Urban Meyer dictating to Kevin Wilson, hey, I'm, I'm bringing you here to call f- for you to call plays, but I still want you to call my plays. And that just, it, it didn't, whoever was calling plays on Saturday night, we know it was Kevin Wilson, just didn't look, it, it didn't look the same as last year. There wasn't a lot of that movement with the players of the shifting and trying to, uh, just to confuse the defense. It, 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 you could definitely tell that Kevin Wilson was not comfortable calling those, uh, that selection of plays. I thought that was obvious. That's a great point. That's a great point because, you know, we're Oklahoma fans. We've watched Oklahoma play football for a lot of years, and we remember that 2008 offense and all the offenses that Kevin uh, – I'm like – Kevin Wilson. Kevin Wilson. Yeah. I was thinking Kevin Sumlin. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> oh mean – Oh, my gosh. They were, you know – Oh, my gosh. They, they were on the same staff. Ke- Kevin Wilson, we saw the offenses that he ran while coordinating at Oklahoma, and they were so dynamic. And it makes you think, you know, why wouldn't Urban Meyer just say, you know what, man? You know offense pretty well. Come in, do your thing. And I'm not... You know, we don't mind it. Yeah. But then again, you know, Urban Meyer, you talked about it last week. He recruits really well, all these amazingly talented players, and he runs a system that is simple, and he lets his talented players play. Yeah, and, and I was just... That was a head-scratcher for me. Um, the general consensus in the offseason when they hired Kevin Wilson was, oh, that was a home run hire for, for Urban Meyer. And in my head, I thought, Kevin Wilson is a great offensive coordinator. Um you know, until Lincoln Riley was here, he's you know he's he was definitely the best offensive coordinator in the Stoops era here. Um, when you give him a lot of weapons, he's really creative and can do a lot of really interesting things. Um, but I just thought it was weird is that you know you're at Ohio State, you have a bunch of athletes that are recruited to fit Urban Meyer's offensive system, and that's what that's what Urban Meyer does. He's an offensive guy, um, and, and I just thought it was weird bringing in a guy who who I've never really seen run that type of offense um especially at, at OU o, OU uh, when he was here was not was not really a spread you out um team they um in 2008 they went to the the hurry up no huddle but they were not necessarily a spread team they they were in the I formation that season just as much as they were in five wide so you know I I just thought it was a weird marriage at the beginning and it might still work out but I, I don't know. I, I If I was an Ohio State fan, I would have been just a little more comfortable if Urban Meyer would have brought someone in who has run his system before. You got to think that as the season wears on, that Wilson will get more comfortable and Ohio State's offense will start to improve. Most likely. As, as the season progresses. All right. So let's 
talk Tulane, Grant. And the first thing that comes to mind when I think about this Tulane game is the fact that this is the OU pay-per-view game of the season. And I can't believe that this is still a thing. It just it seems so late 90s, early 2000s. And for a program like Oklahoma, I think every game should be on regular television. I mean, that's that's not too much to ask. Like FSOK in Oklahoma City and Oklahoma should just be carrying the game on cable like it's a thunder game. I mean, that's the way I'm looking at it. But instead, it's for people like me who are here in Oklahoma City. Uh, and I shouldn't say like me because I get to, I'm fortunate enough to I'll get to go to the game and I work at a, at News Nine and we'll be able to just buy it and it's no big deal and we'll be able to to, to have it for our own for our own archives and things like that. But it's it's thirty nine ninety five. But for you, Grant, you're in Minnesota. It's going to cost you a little bit more, isn't it? It's going to cost me 55 big ones, I believe. 55 bucks to watch and, OU play Tulane. And you know why they do it, Lee? Is because people like me in Minnesota are going to buy it and watch it. So that's that's why they do it. And I, I, I know they they send out the explanation that it's that no cable provider picked it up. That's just that's not true. They would They would pick it up if it was made available. Um, yeah, they certainly it would, would. It would. I mean, think about all the it would, it would, SEC games that get picked sure. up by like the and, SEC network and, and are, or and, even ESPN two. And are you telling me Fox Sports one wouldn't have picked this game up for like a two thirty start? You get, come on, they absolutely would. I mean, have. yeah, yeah, because Oklahoma is a huge, a huge. Uh, yeah, this th- this game would especially after last week. This game would have been picked up in a heartbeat by FS one or ESPN or ESPN two, but they they do this game once every single year because they know that you know this program carries a big enough fan base where there's people out there like me who are going to buy it. Um, and, you know, this is actually the first time I've ever bought one of these pay-per-view games. Um, for purposes of the podcast, I figured I should probably actually try to watch it. So, um, probably. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, ironically, you know, a game on pay-per-view, it normally is supposed to be, you know, it's bigger, it's bigger, but mm-hmm. when they put them on pay-per-view in this aspect, it seems less important. Cause like, yeah, Again, on on the flip side, you know, imagine if last week's game against Ohio State was on pay per view, it would feel like this huge game, and there would be people all over the nation who would, who would have spent crazy money just to watch it. Very similar to probably that McGregor Mayweather fight that that you and I watched a few weeks back and had dropped a hundred bucks. On. Let it be let it be known here first at West of Everest that this OU two lane football game just as big as uh, McGregor Mayweather. Just as big, baby. But yeah, just I mean, it is. I mean, to a lot of Oklahoma fans, that's certainly true, and it's bigger. I'm I'm more excited to watch this football game than I was to watch that fight. Although that fight was pretty awesome, but I digress. (laughs) All right, so we'll move on from pay per view. It's it's weird, but yeah, you're right. People will pay it. So here's the first question I have for you in regards to Tulane. Grant, is the Green Wave going to be better? Or worse than UTEP from a couple weeks ago. They're they're quite a bit better than UTEP. Um, UTEP is is legitimately one of the worst teams in the FBS. Um, Tulane is uh, Tulane is a team that that is probably going to challenge for bowl eligibility. Lee. Interesting. I'm I'm on the exact opposite side of you on this one. Really. The, this is tough, okay? At first, I was going to say better than UTEP, like you said. But now that Tulane's starting quarterback may be out against Oklahoma, okay, I'm, I'm leaning towards the Green Wave being worse than UTEP because their quarterback is a sophomore. Their back quarterback is a sophomore. Had a couple starts last year, played a couple quarters and a half against Navy last week. And remember how one-dimensional, one-dimensional UTEP was? Yeah. T- Tulane 
pretty much the same way. So as of right now, if I had to pick better or worse than UTEP, if the backup quarterback plays for Tulane, I'm saying they're going to be worse than UTEP, actually. Oh, I'll, I'm still going to take uh, Tulane in this, in this aspect, uh, just mostly because if, if you watch UTEP, they – they just didn't have anybody who could challenge you, especially on the, on the offensive side of the ball. And that, that means and that's everywhere on the offense. They didn't have anybody who could – any receivers that could stretch the field. They didn't have any, any running backs that particularly scared you. Um, and, and watching a little bit of this two-lane team, they do – uh, they do have some decent athletes on the outside, um, guys who can they're, – they're a little smaller, but they're shifty and they can run. Um, guys who, if they get behind you, they can do some damage. Now, also, a thing that I noticed about UTEP was just how they, they just didn't really have any sort of identity on offense. They, they threw out some different formations, but, you know, if you, when you think of UTEP, you don't, you don't think of anything. You just, you just think of ineptness on offense. But I was, as I was watching this Tulane team, they, they have an identity on offense. They know exactly what they're doing. They have a well-installed offensive game plan, and I just think they're, they, they present more of a challenge to, you know, to execute than UTEP did uh, by far. Um, there's a lot of talk coming to the game that Tulane kind of runs a triple option. Uh, not, not really. It's, it's kind of a, it, it has triple option tendencies. Um, but I, I had mentioned this uh, to you, Lee, before we got on that and watching them, they look, they look a lot like Auburn and the offense they run with Gus Miles on. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of shotgun, basically all shotgun. They'll have a back to the right of the quarterback, maybe an up back couple yards in front. They'll use some motion. They'll use some shifts to potentially set up the triple option here and there. But it's not going to be like every single play like we're watching Navy or you know Air Force or whatever back in the day. No, uh, it's the, not that. Georgia Tech. You know, we're not going to. That's not anywhere near what Tulane will do. I mean, now that you're you know you're, t- you're talking about the Tulane offense, you might as well go into the Tulane offense against this Oklahoma defense. How will the Green Wave? potentially present problems for OU and I think this is the fun the fun discussion we'll talk about the OU offense against the Tulane defense but this one's kind of fun because the question is what will OU's defense do and it's follow-up to Ohio State because in theory if the Sooners can slow down the Buckeyes like they did OU should certainly stonewall Tulane now so this is uh, kind of where the intrigue in this game lies is that you know they're, they're not running your classic traditional triple option but they are playing option football which means you have to be very assignment sound and um, a, a lot of it is one just being prepared knowing your assignment on every play and the other two is just your athletic ability can you stop the other guys um, and that second aspect I don't really have any concerns with uh, with OU against Tulane in this game um, it's that first thing is where defending the option gets really tricky and even if the Sooners did defend Ohio State really well last weekend um, don't be surprised if they give up some big plays that can that can happen sometimes in this brand of football I got to say, I think playing against JT Barrett a week ago is actually going to help OU's defense because the Sooners got a feel for a running quarterback. And we know JT Barrett, he likes to run because he's not the best thrower. And so I think OU will remember what it was like to stay disciplined with JT Barrett. And I know it's a totally different offense, but that's going to help in preparation for Tulane. And, and the, biggest, the biggest difference is that Barrett, you know, he, he did throw it, obviously, a lot more, but Tulane's not going to really want to throw it as much. They're going to want to run it more, which I think will play more into the hands of Oklahoma because they won't have to guess as much. They'll, they'll know that runs are coming yep. more and more and more. And, and I don't want to say uh, – I don't think they're going to be too foreign to this type of op- offense. Like I said, they looked a lot like Auburn, um, and, you know, they just, they just played Auburn two games ago. 
Um, they, you know, seven seven senior stars on the defense. You know, they're going to be prepared. They've they've defended option football before. Um, you're they're going to see a lot of zone read stuff stuff that they're familiar with. So that's not going to be new to them. Um, it, it's basically when when you get into situations like this, it's just the pitch man. Can can you handle the pitch man? And do you know where blockers are coming from? If Jonathan Banks, who was the starting quarterback for Tulane, if he plays, the Green Wave certainly will have will have a lot better chance of, of doing something against Oklahoma's defense. Oh, He's yeah. very fast. Um, he he was I, I believe I, I saw this. He was at one time a five star recruit, a, uh, maybe even a four. I think a four star recruit at one point. So yeah, he he's bounced around from here and there. He went to Independence Community College, and 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 he's he's a talented player. Yeah, so he's uh, he's a guy. He's a dynamic mm-hmm. athlete, and so if 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 he cannot play, then Tulane is is going to be in a lot of trouble. Um, if if he can play, then then he is a guy who can hurt OU on defense. Banks, they say he has an upper body injury. He didn't practice Tuesday. That's the most up to date update we have on him uh, but the coach Willie Fritz hopes that Banks is able to play the backup his name is Jonathan Brantley he came into the game against Navy and immediately led a touchdown drive in the midway through the second quarter but after that drive the Green Wave just had one more successful possession the rest of the game two and a half quarters worth they just had one more good good drive so and that was against Navy's defense so and again, Brantley, if he's able to play, I think Oklahoma's defense should not have too much trouble against Tulane. Yeah, and I, I just kind of wanted to just to throw caution out there, just in case. Um, but in a more realistic manner, this Tulane team, um, for all you know, for all intents and purposes, is um, they're one-dimensional. They're not a team that's really going to be able to hurt you deep downfield um, in, the, in the passing game. Um, they're ge- and what have you said in the past? You always you like Mike Stoops' defenses against one dimensional. Mike offenses. Stoops does really well um, against one dimensional offenses, and hopefully uh, that continues. Their their quarterback, if he plays, has the potential to to hurt them with his legs. But you know, other than that, I and, and the handful of passes I see, I saw him throw, he's I don't I don't think he's much of a threat to hurt to hurt them downfield at all with his arm. Moving on to the Tulane defense going up against Oklahoma's offense. Lincoln Riley said on Monday that the strength of Tulane is its secondary. That's technically true. The Green Wave have four starters back this year, and Tulane did get an interception in each of its first two games. So the secondary, as far as experience goes, is there for Tulane. And and really the Green Wave, if you look at their stats, you think, wow, the defense is actually pretty good. They haven't allowed many yards at all. They were able to slow Navy's triple option attack pretty well, just a little over three yards per carry that they allowed against Navy. But Tulane, they've played a bad Grambling State offense, and that was an offense that couldn't get anything going and just looked inept, and the Tulane defensive line just blew up the Grambling offensive line. Then they faced an option offense in Navy. So Tulane, Grant, they just they haven't seen anything like what they're going to see from Oklahoma. So it's tough for me to, to be really concerned about Tulane's defense. No, and I'm not. This is, uh, um, af- after last week, there's there's not really a defense the rest of the season that I'm too concerned about with OU, to be honest with you. And I, and I hope that's something that I, you know, I don't put my foot in my mouth later because, um, you know, obviously teams like Kansas State and TCU could pose problems. But, you know, after what I saw last night, there's there, there there's not – like I said earlier, there's not a defense that particularly scares me too much that they're going to face the rest of the season. And certainly you have to take into account that Tulane is heavy underdogs, but they're not as big of underdogs as UTEP was. So yep. I suppose in theory, 
I'm wrong about Tulane being worse than UTEP because UTEP was like a 44 point dog, and Tulane I think is about a 33, 34 point I, dog. I'm, I mean, we're kind of comparing apples and oranges here, but relatively speaking to UTEP, Tulane is a considerably uh, a better team. I just think that's pretty obvious if you just just look at who they've played. Yeah, I mean, just yeah. watching the watching the film with Tulane. I mean, I guess I didn't watch UTEP's second game where they did <laughs> they did get beaten. I think relatively uh, soundly by Rice. They lost to Rice. I think it was like seventeen to seven or something like that. Yeah. So, well, I, I mean, there's there's certainly always the chance because Tulane will be obviously way more up for this game than Oklahoma will be. Even though the Sooners should be up for it, they're back home. They want to celebrate after last week's big win with the home fans. You'd think they're going to be excited for this one. They'll be excited. I, I think they'll be excited. This is this is a senior laden team, lots of experience. Uh, I don't think there's going to be any complacency. I bet they're just itching to get back out there. To be honest with you. All right, Grant, so we have two more questions to answer. We'll start with you. What do you want to see happen against Tulane on Saturday? It's, it's what I always want to see against teams that are, uh, that are inferior um, athletically and talent-wise. I want to see receivers running wide open. I want to see chunk runs. Um, I, unlike the UTEP game, I, want to see, I, I don't want to see Baker get touched. Um, and, all, and like the UTEP game, I'd like to see Kyler Murray start in the third quarter because that, be, you know, that would mean that they're, they're comfortably ahead. Here's what I want. I actually want to see Mark Andrews sit this one out, even if he is feeling pretty good. There's no need to have him go out there if he's kind of sore or beaten up a little bit because really Oklahoma does not need him against Tulane unless for some reason Lincoln Riley really needs to get Mark Andrews out there to get him more reps, which I guess is a possibility. So I I mean, we'll we'll see. I mean, it sounds like he's really close to playing and, and you know, maybe he'll play. Uh moreover I do want to see Oklahoma just simply take care of business teams like Oklahoma should blow out teams like Tulane period they just should uh doesn't need to be 70 to nothing Grant doesn't need to be a big time 70 no. you know whatever but but Tulane's offense I should say the green wave should not be able to put up multiple touchdowns and OU's offense should be able to move the ball all at once and be able to name their score and and lastly I just want to see OU get out injury free yes that's that. That's actually the main thing. I, I don't want any injuries. Um, yeah, it, this it, this is a game. A team that wants to win a national championship. This is a game where you, you don't have any issues. Uh, you want to see them come out. You want to see them be crisp. Not a lot of mistakes. You want to see them take this game seriously. Have some fun. Put half a hundred up, and you know, if if Tulane scores scores twenty uh, in the twenties, I'll be pretty disappointed in the defense. So finally, Grant, what will happen on Saturday? I think you're going to see a game that is pretty similar to the Tulane game. Um, the Sooners are going to be able to the UTEP game. What did I, did I say? Tulane? Yeah. Okay. Well, they said similar to the Tulane. Well, game, but I think you know, I think we all know what you yeah, mean. Yeah, the UTEP game. Um, I, the Sooners are going to be able to do whatever they want on offense. Um, so I, I, I'm not much of a score guy, but but I do think they're going to score in the 50s. Um, the defense, I think, is probably going to give up some chunk chunk plays just because they do have some speed on the outside, and I think, you know, they'll probably have some some weird option trick plays that they'll run, and they'll you know they'll make some plays, but for the most part, I think they'll be uh, they'll struggle to get yards. They're not going to be able to move the ball downfield on offense or uh, through the air. Um, you're 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 going to see a game that's not in doubt after the first quarter. All right, here's what I think will happen. OU is going to run the ball. All four of those backs are going to get action again, just like UTEP. They're going to get all the the, the squeaky wheels. 
Um, what's what's the saying? The, the squeaky wheel treatment. Whenever somebody's not, not that anybody's complaining about not getting the ball. There's but something Marcelli called the Sutton, squeaky wheel treatment, huh? It's a fantasy football thing. Oh. Forget it. It's dumb. Uh, <laughs> again, although Tulane's secondary has some experience, I think the Green Wave is not seeing a passing attack anywhere near as effective as Oklahoma's in the first two games that Tulane has played. Mayfield will spread it around like the first two games. OU will be able to score a bunch of touchdowns in the first half. Mayfield's going to be done by halftime, just like at UTEP. And so that means the OU defense will have to hold down Tulane for Mayfield to sit by halftime. I think the Sooners will. All positive in this one. OU is energized because it's back at home. OU will win this game 56-7. to And yes, that's the same exact score as the UTEP game. Well, if that actually happens, I'll give you props for that. But I, I, I would be satisfied if they won 56-7. I'll say that. All right, so we didn't get a chance to talk about Big 12 and national college football on our Monday podcast. We're going to take the next 10 minutes or so to talk Big 12 and national football here, uh, national college football. So first off, we'll go through all the games around the Big 12. The big one, as far as I'm concerned in the Big 12, is Oklahoma State playing their first Big 5 opponent at Pitt, 11 a.m. at Heinz Field. Grant, I think Oklahoma State will cover the 13.5-point spread against Pittsburgh at Heinz Field. You know, Pat Narduzzi, the pit coach, he's a defensive guy, but Pitt's defense isn't great. And, and the secondary is not that great either. I think it's, it's, one of, it's, it's actually one of the, the weaker points of that defense. So uh, Mason Rudolph is a much better quarterback than what Pitt saw in Trace McSorley last week. And I think Oklahoma State has, a much, has much better weapons than Penn State, uh, aside from Saquon Barkley. So I think Oklahoma State will be able to cover that spread and win the game against Pitt. Yeah, I, I think Oklahoma State's going to win this game fairly comfortably. Um, Pitt's really struggled in their first two games. They're, or, uh, they're, they're one and one. They went to overtime with Youngstown State in the first game of the season. And it was a fairly low-scoring game. Um, I know they struggled to get anything going offensively last week against Penn State. Um, I, I just don't see how they keep up with uh, with Mason Rudolph and Oklahoma State. Um, I'll take Oklahoma State by three or four scores, actually. I think they're going to blow them out. Man, Grant, uh, KU, they need to beat Ohio this week in Athens. They need to beat Ohio, or else my prediction that Kansas will not be a doormat this year is, is going to be totally wrong. Well, I mean, they gave up 45 at home to Central Michigan. Well, and now they got to go on the road to another Mac school. They're seven-and-a-half-point underdogs, Lee. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I can't until I see Kansas really, you know, defeat, a, you know, a, a, an FBS team. I, I, you, I think you have to go with Ohio, especially because they're at home. And you know, yeah, I mean, we're not, yeah. I'm not going to pick this yeah. game. I'm not going to pick this one at all. But I'm just saying, I'm just at this point, we're just going to give give our thoughts on yeah. these teams. I mean, if you, if, if you want to pick Ohio, Kansas, by all means. I'm, no, I'm not. I'm not going to <laughs> go. Can, I mean, I hope Kansas wins. I, I don't want them to be terrible. That'd be cruel. Uh, Delaware State at West Virginia. We'll just go ahead and move on from that one. I think the uh, the, the uh, I think West Virginia will be fine. Will, will Greer Mountain apparently will looks it has looked pretty good. I thought he looked pretty good against or, uh, against Virginia Tech. Um, I know he he looked really good in one half last week. Um, will Greer might might be kind of the quarterback that Daniel Holgerson is looking for over at West Virginia. I got to say, Grant, Iowa State killed me last week, man. Yeah. They, they blew a 10-point yep. lead in the fourth quarter. I remember, I think you were you were trying to predict that they'd win that, that game, and I my, thought they'd win too. That was, that was my game where I said, I'm not going to pick it, but don't be surprised if Iowa State wins. And I think I might have. Cyclones up 10 yeah. points in the fourth quarter, getting two and a half points at home, because I'm all about the spread, against that spread, baby. And your boy Jacob Park threw a terrible pick. Yeah. 
with six minutes to play that allowed Iowa to tie the game. Yeah, I, I guess that might just be a classic case of, you know, it's a, it's a young team with a, with guys who, you know, all they know at the college level is losing and they just don't know how to win yet. That might be a thing. I, I don't know. I think it's kind of an overrated talking point, but man, if if there's a game to showcase that talking point, I think that's probably it right there. By the way, Iowa State's at Akron, uh, Cyclones nine and a half point favorites, so they should win that game. Baylor at Duke. Duke's two touchdown favorite. Grant, Baylor has a legitimate chance to go 0 12 this year. Yeah, Lee. Okay, so I think this game is really interesting. Um, Baylor's 0 2. They started see I, I don't even remember who they lost to in the first game. It's 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 like an FCS nobody. Liberty. They lost to Liberty, thank you. Um and they, they lost to U, <laughs> UTSA last week. They lost by a touchdown. Um Lee Baylor is is in danger of, of of going back to their old selves. I would be okay with that. It feels everything feels better in the world when Baylor is at the bottom of the Big Twelve. Um, but this is an interesting game. Duke absolutely boat raced Northwestern uh, last week. This game is is at Duke. Um, I think this is going to be the game that that shows us whether or not Baylor has reverted back to them, uh, you know, to their old selves. If Duke comes out and just destroys them, then I think we know, uh, you know, the transformation. Uh, from Baylor going back to the to the basements done. SMU at TCU, the Horn Frogs, eighteen point home favorites. I'm interested to watch TCU's defense against SMU in this game, simply because I think TCU's got a pretty stout defense this year. And, and Gary Patterson is a great coach. He, he normally is able to coach defense up. But here's the thing, though: SMU has scored fifty eight points and fifty four points in its first two games. Granted, they did play SFA, Stephen F. Austin, and North Texas, but still. SMU must be able to, to move the football pretty well, so we'll see if TCU could just shut him down. And yeah, that's Chad Morris at SMU. I think this is his third or fourth year now. I think everyone has been kind of waiting for him to get uh, you know everything started over there, get them up and running. Um, I, I, I think they've been pretty good on offense. He's been there, and so it'll be interesting. TCU, they played really well on defense this past week against Arkansas. Um, if Gary Patterson has a, has a patented tough Gary Patterson defense, watch out for TCU. If, if you remember, they were my surprise team in the Big 12. Kansas State at Vanderbilt, probably the the second most intriguing. Eh, you know, the Texas and USC is intriguing, I guess, just because of the, the two teams. But K-State at Vanderbilt is kind of intriguing. Kansas State, 18th ranked team in the country, but only a four-point favorite on the road. You know, Vanderbilt's interesting. They've only allowed six points through two games. They had a shutout last week against an FCS team, so whatever. But I'd like to think that Kansas State can go on and win this game by at least a touchdown i'd like to think that that bill snyder will be able to beat vanderbilt by at least a touchdown so this is a game that cover that this is this is a game that sort of gives me pause because i i I don't think kansas state is really going to have a discernible talent advantage in this game i mean kansas state rarely does um so i this game is going to be a fight for kansas state um this was a game I kind of I kind of brushed off at the beginning of the season, but now that it's here i i think this is a game where kansas state needs to be on on critical upset alert all right, well, apparently Arizona State's at Texas Tech, and Tech's a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, Texas Tech quarterback Nick Shimanek, uh nearly perfect two weeks ago against Eastern Washington in a blowout win. So uh, I think Tech should take care of business in this one at home against Arizona State. Apparently, Grant Todd Graham, he's going to get fired pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, I, I don't think a lot of people realize the dire straits that Arizona State is in. They are the, they're going downhill pretty quickly. Tech's at home. Um, apparently Nick Shimanek's pretty sharp. Um, and you know, I, I, I think Texas Texas is a game that they should probably win, especially being at home. And finally, the uh, close out the big 12 slate, the big one, as far as just teams go, Texas traveling to 
the Coliseum to play USC and the Trojans are favored. I have it written down last time at 15 and a half points. Grant, I got to say, uh, USC looked like a totally different team last week against Stanford than they, they looked in week one against Western Michigan. It's, it's hard to imagine Texas staying within two touchdowns of USC. Yeah, if, if, if the USC from, from this past Saturday night comes out, Texas is going to get blown off the field. Um, you know, unless Texas has something for us that we haven't seen yet. Um, Tom Herman's calling card at, at, at Houston was, you know, was playing top 25 teams. He's never lost to one. Um, so that was always his thing. He could get Houston up for the big games, but then they would lose to SMU. So um, we'll see if, if Tom Herbin has that, you know, has that magic pixie dust and if he can get his team up to, you know, to play at USC. But as I theorized last week, I think Texas is, is it, it's a deep rooted problem there. It's not just the head coach. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this game is really competitive, but I, I really do see USC probably pulling away later in the game. All right, Grant, it's time to unveil our top 10 in college football. And we got to do this relatively quick. Yeah, we'll We've gone quick. longer than I thought. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to try to do this as quick as possible. We'll each give our 10 team and then our nine team and our eight team yep. in reverse order. So I will start with my number 10 team, Grant, and I have Washington at 10. I also have Washington at 10, Lee. That's kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, Jake Browning, solid quarterback play. Uh, they have athletes on both sides of the ball, and they have a really good head coach. So this is a team that I, I think is kind of a wild card. A lot of their, a lot of the team remains, uh, you know, from the playoff team last year. Front seven on defense is great. Um, I think their skill positions on offense are dynamic. They have a lot of speed, but I think Jake Browning is pretty limited at the quarterback position, and I think he's ultimately going to hold them back. But they, they have a good roster. He's limited, but I watched a lot of quarterbacks play this past weekend, and even though he is, like you said, I like that word, by the way, limited, he still is solid. He's more solid than some of the other quarterbacks that are going to be in this top 10. He's a good college quarterback. I don't think he has any sort of shot with his skill set to beat a team like Alabama. All right. So number nine for me is Oklahoma State, which they are also ranked number nine in the AP people. Oklahoma State is also number nine for me, Lee. That's, that's we weird. did not that's coordinate weird. on this at all. No, okay. So especially considering that Washington is is ranked number six in the AP poll, and we each had them at ten. All right. So for number eight, you know, I'm gonna have you go first with your number eight team. Lee, my number eight team is the Louisiana State University Tigers, LSU. Oh wow. Okay. So I thought about having LSU in the top ten. I couldn't do it. I didn't. I don't like their resume just yet. So they're not even in my top ten. Okay. My eight. My number eight team is Michigan. Okay. And so I, 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 I do want to let you know why I have LSU there. I, I think, you know, LSU has always they, they just they always have so much talent. I don't think that's in, that's any different right now. Their defense has just been really impressive so far, um, and I think they've been more impressive than some teams behind them. Is all. All right, and I have Michigan at eight. People were all over Michigan after that first win against Florida, but I told people, hey, pump the freaking brakes. Only thing we learned in that game was that Florida's offense is atrocious. We didn't learn nearly anything else. And I think we learned that Michigan, I, I, I was right, pump the brakes. Wilton Spate, Grant, that guy, talk about the word limited. I watched that game against Cincinnati. He missed at least seven wide open receivers. I felt like I was watching an old school SEC game. <laughs> he He is not a good quarterback. And that is gonna hurt Michigan because that defense is okay that's yeah I mean I, I I could see what you mean but we'll see all right at number seven and this might be a shocker my number seven team is Florida State 
I don't think. I don't know. If, I, like, I don't know if that's a shocker. I mean, they're. I, well, I mean, they're out of the top ten. Yeah, I, I, I did not include them in my top ten. Spoiler alert: uh, because DeAndre Francois is out for the season, I, I just don't. Um, without him, I, I don't think they're a top ten team. Uh, still, in terms of the composition of their roster, um, uh, top ten definitely in talent. Um, but you know, at the most important position, you know, they're they're going to have a guy. Um, who I don't even know who it is, to be honest with you. So um, they didn't make my top 10. So here's my quick reasoning why. Because that defense looks so darn good against Alabama, they're going to they're gonna be good on defense, which when I watched a lot of these top teams play this weekend, all the best teams have a nasty defense, and Florida State will continue to have that. And even with a new quarterback, it's James Blackman, by the way. He's a freshman. He's going to have all this time to prepare. They're not going to play ne- the next game until September 23rd against NC State. Because all, all the hurricane, they've had stuff canceled. So a lot of time for him to prepare. I, I think he will be formidable just because of all the talent at Florida State. Who's your number seven team? My number seven team, Lee, is Ohio State. Um, I, mostly just based off of you know them losing a game this early in the season. You're going to drop back a little bit. I fully expect them to be back in the top five shortly. I, they maybe have the most talented defense in the country. All right. Who do you have at six? My number six team, Lee, is Penn State. Um, and, you know, I, I did, I did say that they were one of my, my overrated teams for the season. Um, I'm not quite ready to say that I'm going to eat crow on that, on that, uh, that pick. I, I think they've looked pretty good so far. Um, a, a lot of the concerns I had about them in terms of consistency, just in, I, I think they've looked a lot sharper than I expected. Um, I, I, I think they're, they're definitely a top 10 team, a fringe top five team. I have Penn state at six as well. Simply, Penn State's defense is fine, but on offense, Trace McSorley, and you said this at the start of the year, he's very limited. Saquon Barkley is their entire offense. He's their, if he's able, if he misses time at some point, Penn State's going to look bad. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think he's their only offense. Th- there's a lot that can go wrong with him, but, but I think uh, th- they're just they're really explosive on offense, and, and there really aren't a lot of teams in the country that are just really explosive like that. There really are only a handful of teams, and I think they're one of them. There's some teams that are ahead, yeah, that, I that, I have, uh, that I have ahead of them in this poll that aren't as explosive as they are, and that can just be, you know, that can be really critical in college football. All right, top five. My number five team is Ohio State. I think they just switched spots with Oklahoma. Ohio State, I think, is a better football team than Penn State. I think they're a better football team than Michigan. I think Ohio State's going to run through and win the Big Ten. I think they're better than those teams. They have more talent. And Ohio State just happened to play Oklahoma, who actually is a pretty darn good football team. Who's your number five My team? My number five team, Lee, is Southern California, USC. Um Again, you know my my two overrated teams back to back in the poll. Um, I, I I can't ignore the, a domination of a physical Stanford team like that. It's really impressive. Um, the first couple games looks like the run game has kind of been the the, the focal point of their offense. Um, we know Sam Darnold is good, and if if they can run the ball um, really well like that, that's just going to be a really difficult offense to stop. I think they they probably still have a lot of questions on defense. Um, but, you know, if, if you have an NFL like quarterback and a really good running game in college football, you're going to be a really tough team to stop. Plus, they have an easy schedule. So USC number five. Well, USC is number four on my list. Why? Uh, who is number four on your list? Number four team on my list, Lee, is Michigan. Uh, wow. I, I, this can be chalked up to one thing. I, I'm just a, I'm a big believer in Jim Harbaugh. Um, I think outside of Nick Saban, he's he's the best coach in college football. 
Um, I, I think they have the potential to just be utterly dominant on defense. Um, and in the Big Ten, I, I, I expect them to be um, – expect the, you know, just like usual, that Ohio State-Michigan game at the end of the season to be a really, really big deal. I mean, the reason why Michigan's not high – I'm not high on Michigan is because their defense is good, yes, but their offense is not very good at all. It just isn't very good. And other teams – have really good defenses as well with more dynamic offenses. And that even includes Ohio State, even though they didn't look very good against Oklahoma. At number three for me is Clemson. How about you? Uh, same here uh, with Clemson. Um, despite despite what they lost on offense, they potentially have the best defense in the country. Um, plus, plus they, they still got a really good a, a lot of really good athletes on offense. Um, that's a team that's going to be there all year. I, I, I would pick them now um, in the ACC for sure. All right, we shouldn't take too much time on these last two. I think our, our top three are the same. Uh, I have Oklahoma two and Alabama one. I have Oklahoma at number two and Alabama also at number one. Expect Alabama in my poll to be the, do- the de facto number one for the yeah. rest of Nick Saban's tenure until they lose a game or deserve not to be there anymore. Same here. So that's our top ten. I'll go over mine real quick. Ten through one. Number ten, Washington. Number nine, Oklahoma State. Eight, Michigan. Seven, Florida State. Six, Penn State. Five, Ohio State. Four, USC. Three, Clemson. Two, Oklahoma. Number one, Alabama. How about you, Lee? Mine is number ten, Washington. Number nine, Oklahoma State. Number eight, LSU. Number seven, Ohio State. Number six, Penn State. Number five, USC. Four is Michigan. Three is Clemson. Two is Oklahoma. And number one is Roll Tide, Roll Alabama. We have five games to pick here really fast. Last week, I was 4-1. and one. Grant, you were 1-4, and four, so you got to get better, man. Yeah. First game, Oklahoma State and Pitt. We both picked Oklahoma State earlier. We'll skip on to Texas and USC. I'm going to take USC. Did you, did you think that maybe Tom Herman would string an, uh, pull an upset? I thought I, I think it's possible, but I, I doubt it happens. Uh, I'll go with USC. Same here. K-State and Vanderbilt. I think K-State will win that game. How about you? Um, I'm going to take Vanderbilt, actually. Interesting. All right. Tennessee at Florida. This is a weird one because Tennessee's not a very good football team, but Florida looked very very kind of whatever against Michigan. I'm going to take Florida to win this game. I think Tennessee and Butch Jones is, is really just not palatable. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm also going to take Florida. Um, I, I thought Tennessee just absolutely looked dreadful on offense um, in that game against Georgia Tech, and Florida has a competent defense. Uh, I, I just I, That game in the swamp, I just don't see Tennessee moving the ball a whole lot. And finally, the big one of the weekend, Clemson at Louisville. I like the Tigers. I'm going to take Clemson, and I think it's, it's going to be by two scores. Okay, um, I'll also take Clemson. Um, I think it's going to be close. It's going to be really close. Um, and but before we go, I do want to throw it out there. My uh, upset of the week, uh, you didn't include it in this game, but uh, Mississippi State over LSU. I'm not necessarily going to say that it's absolutely going to happen, but don't be surprised if that happens. We'll be watching for that game as well as the others. And, of course, OU versus Tulane, which is a 5 o'clock kick on Saturday. That does it with this episode of West of Everest. If you liked what you heard today, make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave us a rating and a review while you're at it. Enjoy OU versus Tulane on Saturday. Grant and I will be back Monday with plenty of reaction. Until then, for Grant, I'm Lee. This is West of Everest.